Welcome to the Behavior Speak podcast. Now, here's your host, Ben Ryman. Welcome to another episode of the Behavior Speak podcast. Uh, today, we're traveling uh, far across the world, uh, nine hours ahead in time zones to uh, Egypt, where we are chatting with Radwa Eltenap. Radwa, thanks for being on the show. Hello, Ben. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So excited to chat with you. I think this is uh, definitely the uh, furthest away conversation I've had since we started the podcast. So it's exciting to learn about what's happening in ABA across the world and other side of the planet. And so really excited to have you here. Maybe Radwell, we can just start by um, getting a bit of kind of your, your, your origin story. So how did you get into the field of ABA and, and kind of how did you end up being a BCBA in Egypt? So how did it all start for you? Yes, sure. Let me tell you from the very early beginning. Okay. Perfect. First of all, I'm a board certified behavior analyst and I studied applied behavior analysis first through Florida Institute of Technology. And then after that, I did my master's degree in ABA and autism through the Sage College, New York. And I'm also a mother to an autistic kid. He's 19 years old. And this is where it's all started before. It's because my son has autism and has also other challenges like speech apraxia. That was the beginning. And then when he was diagnosed with autism when he was two years old in here in Egypt. And then we went to like many services here in Egypt, like centers. But by that time in 2003, the services was very, very limited. There's no ABA, there's no uh, speech therapy, there's nothing. And then I moved like to different centers here in Egypt, trying to figure out what to do with, for my son. And then after that, maybe like I found a center here in Egypt. And after that, I heard about like, wow, in the States, they are doing more than that. Uh, they have uh, like more therapy over there. They have something called ABA over there. They teach kids more. And then we can see more progress over there. And then we traveled and like maybe we're talking about 2006. And then I, it was in Miami in Florida. And then uh, I saw how they are working with my kid. They work very hard with my kid. It's um, like so many things, like structured things and more natural things. They taught my son so many things, like even outside in the community. He was having very bad waiting skills. They taught him to wait. He was taking an intensive therapy over there in one of the centers in Miami. And uh, they trained me to know more and more about ABA. And after that, I became very interested and I started to learn how to work with my son. And they taught me so many things. And then after that, like maybe by, by the beginning of 2010, I started thinking, instead of other people making programs for me to work with my son, how about I study and try to find out something that I can study ABA and have a degree in ABA, and then maybe I can help my son and help other kids as well. And then I started looking and searched, and, I, and also I asked people there working in the center, and they told me about uh, the Behavior Analyst Certification Board, and I started like browsing the website and start like navigating and how I can become a board certified behavior analyst. And then I started and first I joined FIT and I became first a BCABA. And then after that, I continued until I became a BCBA. So this is how it started with my son. And uh, and now I'm helping other kids as well. Wow. That's okay. That's amazing. So, so your son was diagnosed at, at age of two in 2003, but there weren't really any services. First off, I, 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 I just, I'm surprised that, um, I guess not surprised, but interested to know kind of what the whole sort of autism diagnosis sort of scene is like in Egypt. I mean, that, that you're able to get a diagnosis at the age of two sounds like, you know, they seem to have gained some ground in terms of diagnosing. Yeah, that's a very good question, you know, because by that time also, there was a very limited knowledge about autism in Egypt. And I was surprised because the first uh, like um, uh, child psychiatrist that diagnosed my son, she said autism. And to me, by that time in 2003, I didn't know what autism mean. Mm. I didn't know anything about autism. I went uh, to her clinic, me and his father and my son. And then he started like um, sitting on the floor, picking some toys. And I'm talking to the doctor, me and his father. And then she started uh, looking at him. And then after maybe like a 10 minutes or something, she said he might have autism. Hmm. And then I told her, what do you mean by autism? She said, her explanation to me, it wasn't perfect. 
she said that like maybe when he grow up he becomes a little bit like naive or or like uh, he's not going going to be able to live independently mm. or uh, like solve problems stuff like that this is her explanation wow it it was tough yeah it was very tough for me to hear something like that Scary. and then i told her yeah exactly and then i told her uh, what are you supposed to do if he does something uh, and you didn't say like autism how are we supposed to do it? she said like he should have come to you approach you try to show you one of the toys in his hand trying to talk to you trying to talk to his dad and then she told me these things and and make me like it's clicks to me you know another thing also because i have older kids like but it's not older by very far like mm. maybe i yeah it's like uh, one and a half year and then also i have a, a daughter like three years older from my son so maybe also their their behaviors is different from my autistic kid you know so they were engaged they are th- speaking they uh, uh, they are interested in toys they don't do stereotypical behaviors so maybe this was the red flag for me uh, in early age to check about my son omar his name is omar so this 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 was the start yeah but when when she told us about the autism and then i w- i remember i went back home with my husband and then i told him i started this denial phase you know mm-hmm. no my son is okay he's perfect mm-hmm. you know but the good thing is that it didn't last long i started to think what's the next step should be so okay so so you had no idea what autism was at the time why did you go see the psychiatrist in the first place because we asked some friends we asked people i didn't know that like uh, which uh, a profession we have to go so uh maybe this is the profession that we have to go and then I, we asked friend then they told us yes this is it's the best people who can help you with the speech delay first before that we went also to a speech therapist uh, or or maybe during uh, the same time yeah when we went to a speech therapist he is actually a speech doctor he's, he's a mm. doctor and mm. then he wa- he was uh, doubting about maybe he has a language delay or speech delay mm. and then what he told me is that he told me like let's give us like a two month uh, like a, a limit time to check his uh, maybe he has a language delay maybe if you speak to him more than often he will acquire more language he will speak and then he told me to tag everything when we are doing like his washing hands i have to say we are washing hands he's going mm. and getting dressed i have to say let's yeah he's getting dressed He's doing all the everything, all the talk. I have to say it out loud, and we check after two months if he's like, is it speech delay or or anything else? And then after two months, we went again to the speech doctor, and he said, no, it's not only a, spe- a language delay. We have to do further investigation, you know. So at that time, I went to the psychiatrist and I went to the speech doctor. Gotcha, gotcha. So yeah. so it w- it was a speech delay that really triggered you to kind of start investigating what might be going on with Omar. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And also there there's something else also when he was like a year and a half or something, you know, like he has this uh, when we call him at home and say Omar, you know, he's not replying. Mm. And um we start doubting also about his hearing. Maybe he has a problem with hearing, maybe mm-hmm. it's a problem he can't hear us well, but at the same time we ruled this out by doing something. He's like we were sitting in the living room and he's sitting in another room and he hear in the tv a specific sounds from a show and then he, he came very quickly so we know by this time that oh you can hear but mm. he's like select yeah select what are the things that he can respond to versus other things that he's not interested to respond to gotcha so you you were you were already a scientist before you got a dba my specialization at was in business mm. okay in business administration i'm graduate i have bachelor degree in business and uh, i was like a, uh, my career before aba it was like the banker i worked in in a bank oh, wow. maybe for 5 years yeah that was, but now i shifted everything because of my son yeah 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 now yeah yeah totally well i can just see i could just see with the sort of testing you were doing at home to see if it was hearing you know and kind of comparing the conditions that you're already you were already a scientist before you you know started studying <laughs> ABA so you were kind of made for this but having a, having a business degree actually is probably helpful as you're trying to kind of start businesses and start a company and and that sort of thing too eh yes yes hopefully yeah i would love to do that one yeah. day so you've got the diagnosis at age 2 which is you know pretty amazing i mean considering you know how how long it sometimes takes to get a diagnosis and that sort of thing how old was omar when when he started aba services 
we, we started the services in Egypt. They were doing ABA, uh, but it was not like, you know, it, it wasn't like, like 100% like from what I saw when I traveled to the USA. Maybe they were doing their best, but at the same time, he, he was like two and a half years old when we started therapy in Egypt. Mm. Yeah, so he received therapy for two and a half years there. So we, we moved from Egypt when he's almost five years. He's about to be five years old. Okay. And du- during this two and a half years old, two, two, two years and a half, he received uh, services there. He, he was receiving one-to-one therapy. He was receiving a group therapy. He was receiving also a speech uh, therapy. And they were using the Hannon program. You mm, know? Uh, yeah. yeah, this yeah, Hannon program. And, uh, I, you know, they, they were very good at some points also at very good because they they started to teach Omar like sign language it was a Makaton sign language it's the British way of using the sign and um, one of the things also that maybe because Omar wasn't have this way of communication using uh, vocal words so that's why they started using sign language this is something good but what I noticed later on when I started started to study ABA and I traveled and they used packs with him in the United States is that the mistake that they did is, for example, if Omar wants to ask for water, okay, and then he do the sign for water, and then he wants more water, so they started to teach him to sign for more, you mm. know, and then to sign for, um, like, oh, I want or want. So what I learned is it's not right to, to start teaching kids when they do not have a lot of vocabulary and we do, they do not have a lot of things to mend for it's not right to teach them to ask for more. It's not right to teach them to to say like uh, or to ask using sentences like "I want," you know, even mm-hmm. with the sign language. It's better, and it's always better to teach him to, like when he asks for water, he sign water. When he asks for like chips, he sign chips. When he asks for popcorn, he sign popcorn. So by by doing this, he should have have more uh, words to mend for. So this one of one of the mistakes uh, they they did is like taught him to say more so when Omar comes to me at home and he say more and then I don't have the item that he wants and then mm. I start asking Omar yeah more of what Omar I don't understand you you know this is a common problem in in our field with uh, sort of the early communication training as as I think and I think we see this sort of around the world that uh, folks are teaching kids you know to say things like more and or please, or or whatever, but it doesn't. It's not specific enough. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's why, after like a two and a half years of working with him intensively, mm-hmm. he was going there every day. You know, and we're giving him an intensive program. We don't see that much progress. You know. Yeah. So uh, yeah, maybe this is one of the mistakes. One good thing also happened there. He starts to vocalize uh, some sounds before when he first entered and receives therapy over there there was no sounds at all mm. but the good thing is yeah the good thing is he started to vocalize some sounds like you know these baby sounds like uh, uh, ba ma mama da da stuff like that yeah. so th- these things yeah it's it was good there also one one of the things also that i see that it's not that beneficial for omar is that the group therapy it's it was a lot there or like many uh, times grouping therapy i think for omar by that age he needs more one to one therapy yes because yes, yeah. Because he needs to work a lot on his like um, too many things. He needs to work on like his mending repertoire, his play skills. His um, he has to have a good foundation before we add in more social things or social group or group therapy. You know? gotcha, this this gotcha. one of the things that I, yeah I noticed that it was better for him to have a more one to one more than the group therapy. So there was definitely a, a system, at least when you kind of. When Omar got diagnosed, there was some system for intervention for autism and speech, but it wasn't ABA based. It was more kind of speech based. Yes, exactly. Yeah, they they were following. You remember, like the, the Hannon program, right. more into yeah, exactly. Yeah, more into naturalistic playing stuff, more into. But um, it was okay. But when I started to figure out that, like maybe kids making a good progress when they or better progress or more advanced progress when they travel to the USA. Yeah, we decided to take our son and try, go there. Okay, and so so what did that look like? Where where did you where did you go? Um, I went to uh, Miami, Florida. Mm-hmm. There, yeah, there are some like uh, some of our friends. They told us about this place, 
And uh, I went to my friend's house and she told me about everything there because she used to take her daughter before to the same place. By the way, also, it was my first time to travel to the USA. <laughs> you know, it was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't go to the USA before 2006. And then like we tried to, we contact the owner of the place. She was a BCABA by that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. And also she is a speech pathologist. Mm. And yeah, and she was one of the very rare people that they are certified prompt approach. Prompt, I, I think it's an approach for to help kids use like their like their tongue and their mouth, and they press on certain specific things to produce more sounds. So, ah, gotcha. Uh, she was yeah, yeah. She was one of the very rare people in Miami there, in Florida. Okay. And then uh, I tra- yeah I contacted the the BCAB, and she she's also the owner of the center. And mm-hmm. then I sent her some videos. She asked for some videos for my son and mm. like um, different things that she wants about him, report and stuff like that. And then we decided to, we traveled like by December 2006. And then uh, they make like a, a comprehensive assessment for him. And they started telling me that he needs an intensive therapy. And uh, they put him on PICS protocol mm. also. Yep. Yes. And yeah, and started from there. We stayed there maybe, we, we stayed there like a two years but we have to, you know, go out of the U.S. and come back again because of our visa and stuff like that. Of course, yeah. Yeah. So then from that point, you decided you're going to go back to school and learn some more? Uh, not from that point. During that t- time, okay, I learned a lot from Omar uh, from there in the center. And then we stayed there. I was going there like once a week to learn more about how they are doing and then by the time that we are approaching to go back to our uh, country, because you know what, it's like my other kids also, they they were in school there, okay? And then like my husband was working in another, in another country. So we started to think about, oh, we cannot stay like that, my husband in another country and me with the kids with, in another, in the US. So we have to do something and we have to stay together, all together, you know? By that time, my, my husband was working in Saudi Arabia and then uh, I asked the lady there, I want to be more trained. I want to learn how to work with Omar alone without anybody because I have to move to the Saudi Arabia. And also in Saudi Arabia, there was no ABA at all there. There is no ABA. There is no centers for ABA right. by that time in, two, yeah, in 2008 uh, or mid or 2008. Yeah. And then my son did a, a very great progress over there. And then after that, I moved to Saudi Arabia with my kids. And then I was uh, online, you know, seeing the BCABA that's just putting the programs for my son from the center Miami. Right. She was uh, updating me with programs okay. and she's sending me programs. I start preparing the materials. I start uh, working with my son, entering the data on the data sheets mm. and then send her. And every month she updates me with programs, you know. And then, yeah, I stayed like this two years till 2010 working with my son there in Saudi Arabia at home. Amazing. And, but by the, yeah, by the time, like my other kids were in school in the mornings. And then what happened? The good thing is also something good happened. Yeah. Also every, every summer I went to the USA to do, to give him like an intensive also, you know, so he, like take advantage of the summer because it's vacations. So uh, we went there for the summer. And then in the beginning of 2010, there's an ABA department open in one of the centers in uh, Saudi Arabia, in, in Jeddah. And then I went there and I, I gave my son there like a therapy from January 2010 till July 2010 until we moved back to Cairo in Egypt. So this was a good experience also. And uh, the founder of this department, she was a BCBA doctoral level and she came there and she established this ABA or uh, department in this center in 2010. Yeah, it was the first ABA department in the whole Saudi Arabia. Was that Dr. Kelly? Uh, uh, Dr. Susan Einsley. Oh, okay. Yeah. Dr. Kelly, she's in Emirates. Uh, Emirates. Ah, yes, right. Yeah, not in, yeah, not in Saudi Arabia. Okay, so you so you you went to there was a program now in 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 Saudi and then you went back to Cairo and there wasn't anything there, right? Yeah, there wasn't anything in, in Cairo, but I started to enroll him in a school, special needs school here. And mm. when we came back, yeah, and then he started in in his school. Uh, it's even it's the one that he's going there. 
they it's they take kids up like to 20 something okay. and then uh yeah and then the focus in this school for omar is like more into vocational stuff you know they they are teaching omar uh, more into like training about like uh, work uh, related to the if he wants to be like waiter maybe one day or if he wants to be like uh, work in a library one day or like uh, more into vocational uh, computer he's sure. very smart at computers yes and he knows to do a lot of things on the computer on excel and uh, word documents he's he's so good at that this is one of the things that for the future i'm thinking about my son maybe he can work with his dad in his office and doing computer stuff because mm-hmm. you know when when i'm thinking about his future also because of his speech apraxia he he now types he can type he can communicate by words uh, by typing by written words more mm. he's trying to vocalize but he's not understandable to too many people you know mm. so he depends on the on writing more and more and he's always using his iphone and he writes on his notes so he he he's so smart and telling what he wants so awesome. I think the best thing for Omar, yeah, the best thing for Omar for his future work is something like for a computer to enter data, to create uh, graphs, to do stuff like that. And he's, he's so good at that. Better than to communicate with other people, you know, because it would be so difficult for other people to mm-hmm. understand him if he speaks, mm-hmm. you know. And in our culture here, it's so difficult also to communicate most of the time with the, with the writing stuff, with the notes and send notes to other people to communicate with you, you know. It's so difficult. It's not easy stuff. If you're planning on collecting continued education credits for this podcast, you'll need to go to www.cbiconsultants.com and type in the three secret words. The first secret word is... Egypt. Because of the language is so different? It's not only the language. Yeah, this is one of the barriers. He's writing in English. He learns in English everything. Because mm-hmm. The main language here is in it's Arabic. And he writes everything in English. Not only because of the language, but it's easy for people to speak, you know. But, but it's like until he writes something and hand it to people so people can mm. understand him and then he return it back and reply... I, I feel it's it's a long process. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Gotcha. He can, he can do this. He can do this. Yeah, he can do this with us, his family, his relatives. But when he's going outside in the community, I don't think it's going to be beneficial for him. Mm, you know? Yeah, or, gotcha. or to a certain extent. Yeah, limited, but not outside in the community. Gotcha. I mean, I mean, you guys have a lot more patience with him, and you're willing to wait yeah, for exactly. the back and forth. And you know, other yes. strangers might not be willing to sort of wait for him yes. to type something or even understand why they're waiting for him to type something. Exactly. Yeah. However, he says a very fast uh, typer and everything, <laughs> but maybe. <laughs> so at, at what point during this process did you decide that you were going to become a BCBA yourself? At the point that started, uh, it's, it was 2010. It's by the time this ABA department started in uh, Saudi Arabia, I was in Saudi Arabia and then uh, I started asking people I know in the center in Miami, how can I start? They told me about the Behavior Analyst Certification Board. And then uh, I started like my first course. It was like 2010, directly after the uh, the break, 2010 in Florida Institute of Technology. And here I, I started. Yeah. Okay. And then what made you decide to go from there to go to Sage? Yeah. Okay. This was in 2010. Mm. Okay. And then I became a BCABA. I was the first one to be certified in Egypt in 2016. Okay. Wow. And then, uh, it, yeah, it was really excited to see Egypt like name and the registry and the board. It was something. I bet. Yeah. It was really great. I, I remember my feelings that day. It was amazing. And then I wanted to continue with FIT when I started. I started my master's in 2019. But at that time, in FIT, there was no uh, online program, 100% online program, master's degree program. Yeah, it was a hybrid program, like half of it maybe on campus and half of it I uh, online. I And I didn't know if it was possible for me to travel back again to be on campus, you know. So I started to look for online programs, 100% online programs. And I asked Dr. Susan... We're friends. We're, we talk sometimes. Mm-hmm. And do you recommend any specific universities? And she was the one that recommended to me the Sage College because I think one of her students 
saying good things about this university. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I started my master's degree, studying for my master's by the end of 2016. Mm. I finished 2019 because I became certified in uh, May. I, I completed my master's degree in May 2019, and I became board certified behavior analyst in uh, November 2019. Wow. It took me two and a half years. Yeah, two and a half years to, to finish the master's degree and sit for the exam. And so were you the first BCBA as well in Egypt? There was one BCBA in Egypt before that time. Okay. Uh, she was, she's an American. Mm. She's American. And uh, also there, there's another one, but she was between Canada and uh, Egypt. Gotcha. So you're the first, you're the first Egyptian BCBA. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. So you must have uh, you you uh, you obviously didn't just work with your son at this point. So did you start working with other children? Yes. Yeah, I started working with uh, with other children, and uh, for now I'm I'm independent practitioner, mm. and I'm uh, yes I'm focusing on uh, do the parent training. I'm mm. really interested in doing parent training with the kids because you know there's we have a huge part here in egypt also when when i go in on social media when i read things when i meet my parents you know the, the problem with them is that when they take their kids to the centers and then after that they their kids go back home and they take their kids outside in the community we have a, a huge part here about the generalizations and how the, the parents started to deal with their kids after therapy and after they finish the uh, the center what mm. they should do and problem behaviors that they are facing them at home so most of my work before it was about parent training you know and mm -hmm. even if the kid wants more intensive because I'm, I'm working as an independent practitioner i'm working alone i'm focusing with the parents i can try to like to find a therapist to find an rbt or something and to teach her to work with the, with the kid you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To give more, more, more of an hours, mm -hmm, you know. Mm -hmm. I also, yeah, yeah. I also worked. Uh, the the good thing also, I I worked on on different uh, behaviors. Like one of my clients also, they um, she was a girl. She was she developed some phobia from supermarkets when she passes by like the supermarket fridge yep. and she sees the meat and stuff like that. Yeah, I worked this and it was a very successful also interventions and. And we did a great job going to the supermarkets together and desensitize her uh, her fear towards going to the supermarket with her mom. And also, uh, she was eloping and leaving her mom's uh, places, and she cannot go with her mom to anywhere. And I worked with this type of behaviors as well. And uh, hopefully, the, the next phase from my life, I hope I have like to establish like a small uh, center or something and start training more staff. And accepting more kids to work with them in, in the sun. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like, how do people find you? How do people come? Like, because a, you, you had never heard of ABA when you first kind of got the diagnosis. And you only learned about ABA once you, you, once you kind of went to the U.S. How do uh, other parents learn about ABA in Egypt? And how do they find you? And how do they know to kind of get ABA services? Like, how do they know that's an option? The first thing I did after I became a board certified assistant behavior analyst in 2016, I started to uh, to feel that I have a big responsibility towards people here in Egypt. Mm. And I started to like, so what is the best way to reach people? Mm -hmm. What's the fastest way to reach people? I thought about social media. Right. I started making this group. It's called AD Egypt on Facebook. Mm. And then, uh, yeah, by now, this group, it's reached 9,200 members. Wow. So, and then... I, first, I thought about how about like I start to take some concepts and trying to explain these concepts in a very simple way so people becomes more understanding parents or therapists, you know, because I have a lot of people on this group. They studied education, special education here in Egypt from different uh, universities here in Egypt. And also we have parents. And then after that, I started to do some Zoom meetings to explain to people our, and parents to, and tell parents to join, come. If you have some questions, I, you can join the Zoom meetings. But of course, I make like a declaration or something. Uh, it's we, We're not here to treat problem behaviors. We need to teach you more about ABA and to teach you how to help your son mm. in, in a better way and how to look to behaviors and how to look to the problem behaviors from an ABA perspective, you know. But at the end, you have to seek a professional help. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started to do these Zoom meetings. I also started to invite more uh, people to 
even even in the beginning, I started to invite people from BCBS from uh, the United States, and I started to translate what they are saying into Arabic. So my members in the groups understand because here also language is a very big barrier, mm-hmm. you know. So I invited a Professor Andrew Hoover's from Florida Institute of Technology, and he make a presentation about ABA uh, to the members of AB Egypt. I also invited uh, Dr. Uh, Josh Pratcher, mm. and also he, st- he talks about uh, peak assessment and curriculum and how important this assessment. And also I invited Dr. John Bailey and started talking about ethics, mm. you know. Yeah, it was very interesting also meetings. And there's, I think, two or three of these meetings, I uploaded them to the ABA Egypt YouTube channel because most of the meetings I uploaded to the YouTube channel so people later on they can access the meetings and they can access even the if they want to know more concepts about ABA in Arabic language. Right. So I started taking the concept, explaining it in Arabic so maybe people can, they have it as reference there. And thinking about the social media, I think it was a very good idea because from here people start to think, what is ABA? What, what ABA uh, like does to kids? And then also... When I started to give the RBT training, I found out that more people are very interested about the RBT training, even parents, mm. even the, if they are not interested in the certification, but they are interested about the content itself, you know. And uh, also, it was, uh, I think I think this was the most important thing that makes people become became more interested. But till now also, you know, been in other groups, when I go to other groups and see what, the, especially the groups specialized for parents, they still ABE is not that is not like recognized. Mm-hmm. It's not too much informally recognized, you know, because people like they always asking about speech therapy. You know, mm-hmm. they always asking about they call here skill development. They don't, yeah, they asking for a, ther- a therapist that doing something called a skill development for their kids. Mm-hmm. They don't know that ABA we in ABA we do this. ABA it's not only for problem behaviors. Right, and they also we still have this yeah. Uh, behavior modification, the old school, you know, mm. and also because, because, yeah, also because of the like the malpractice from some therapists because they did not learn about ABA, okay, like BCBAs learn about it, so they still stick to the old school of ABA, getting the child to sit hours and hours on the chair, trying to uh, change behaviors forcefully, you know. Mm-hmm. So many parents also, yes, many parents also they start to see that, oh, this way of changing behavior is aversive to my kid. You know, it's not the best way to change behaviors. So sometimes we, we try to tell people, this is not the right way. Maybe this was the old school. Mm. Now it's not. We have to uh, follow the child lead. We have to see what the child wants to, to play with first. We have to build rapport with the kids. We have to, there's so much into this that we have an updated research and stuff like that. So I think it's it's not, Something to going to be changed like within weeks or months. Mm-hmm. I think something it take a long time. Yeah. I think so. No, for sure. Okay, a lot, lot of, lot of interesting points there. So you kind of started the social media up and kind of really got the word out. So when you had folks like Dr. Pritchard and Dr. Bailey come and do presentations, you would then translate them. Yeah. Wow, amazing. Everything in Arabic. Amazing, yeah. amazing. What a resource. Yeah. And then, yeah, and but by the way, also I I invited Doctor uh, Michael Muller to talk about the IBAO. Oh yes, of course. Well, yeah, we're, yes, we'll, yes. We'll, let's save that for a second. We'll talk about that in a minute too. I think. Um, sure. You sure. also said you do, uh, presumably in Arabic, you do you do RBT training as well. You have a yes. course. Yes. That's great. And so, are there a lot of folks now? Are, are there are, are there more BCBAs besides you and that other person now? Yes, there is. Uh, I think I think we are uh, five BCBAs mm. right now. Yes, and three or four BCABAs. Wow, that's amazing. And yeah, yeah. The thing is, for the RBT, we have a lot of RBTs, but you know, like when people hear that, oh, we have a lot of RBTs. A lot. I'm I'm I mean, like seventy or eighty. RBTs. Mm. So people may become, wow, that's that's a big number and that's very good that you have a lot of RBTs. But you know what? In a matter of fact, it's not that good because mm. most of these people, uh, they do not have like a supervisor. Mm. Okay. And then once they don't, once they don't have a supervisor, they become inactive. And the problem here is that because we do not have a lot of BCBAs and BCABs, that's here, here comes the problem. 
you know, I, I cannot take like 20 or 30 RBTs to supervise. Okay. Like I told you, I'm an independent practitioner. Mm-hmm. I still have freelance. So even also the, the others, uh, BCBs, also there is one BCB working in the school system. There is also another BCB. She's working independently. So I think maybe one only working in the center. Mm. So this is problematic because who's going to support, to supervise all these RBTs, you know, mm-hmm. especially also with the recent announcement from the board, like no one's going to be certified after 2022, mm-hmm. you know. It's good that people learn, of course, to know the content about the ABE course and RBT course and stuff like that. But it's not enough, you know. No. Yeah, that's a big problem. Yes. So you've got a lot of RBTs. Not many people to supervise them. So are these RBTs just working? Are they working independently or are they working under BCBAs? Are they just doing their own thing? Yeah, some of them uh, working in centers and their supervisors is uh, abroad. It's Mm. not in Egypt, you know. And some of them have a supervisor uh, in Egypt. Mm. They have a BCAB. Most of them have a BCABA supervisor here in Egypt. And the others have a BCBA supervisors outside Egypt. Mm. So also outside Egypt also, yeah, it's it's a little bit problematic because they have cases, RBT, you know, um, they have cases working on a daily basis. So they need a supervision, ongoing supervision. So it's not going to be very useful the, remotely. You know, the supervision remotely for an RBT is not very useful because they have to have a BCB within their organization, and, you know, to, right, to provide the right. best service for the kids. Yeah. It's not like uh, when a BCBA supervises a BCABA remotely. It's not the same, you know. The BCABA does not need the same amount of supervision mm-hmm. and ongoing supervision like the RBT, you know. And th- that's, I see, the, a problem. So, so the solution is, is we need more behavior analysts that are certified, I guess. E- exactly. And, yes, but, exactly. But the I problem is that you just kind of stated is that the BACB is no longer going to be providing certification as of, well, I guess next year. So you mentioned um, you brought Dr. Uh, Michael Muller in. Yeah. And so what, what did he talk about? We, we have some questions from the members in AB Egypt. Yeah. I will recall some questions now. Uh, like, uh, so people start to ask, you know what, also the, the question that most people asking, it's about, you know, the licensure. Sometimes people are very confused. Oh, when I take this, uh, become certified, so I'm going to be working in any country, so I can go work in any country, I'm licensed and stuff like that. So uh, Dr. Michael Mort starts to talk about the difference between certification and licensure. Licensure, this is something like locally, mm-hmm. you have, it has to be provided by the, the government itself or the profession inside your country. But the certification is something that's not the same. So he started to talk about the difference between these two things. And then also uh, people, I invited Dr. Michael Morrill even before the, the website becomes more uh, formally and updated. So people have so much questions to ask, you know. And people also started to ask about the value of the IBEO. Is it similar to the Behavior as Certification Board? Mm. And also, yeah, also people ask questions about how about the QBA or QABA, I think, right. qualified? I'm not sure about the Yeah, which one? And also, I start to receive more questions about, shall I go for the QABA or shall I go for the IBO? Mm. So people sometimes confuse, especially after the recent announcement from the Behavior Arts Certification Board. People want to study ABA, but they don't know from how to study mm-hmm. and from which organization mm-hmm. they shall be. Especially, we don't have this education in Egypt. We don't have universities that teach ABA, mm. you know, it's not for, yeah, this, this science is not formally recognized. You know, we don't, we don't have this in, uh, in universities. We only have psychology, we have education, but we do not have an applied behavior analysis. Just to give folks some context yeah. that may not understand IBAO and QABA. So as I understand it, I, th- I believe the QABA has been around for a little while before this announcement was made. And I believe it QABA is qualified, maybe qualified applied behavior analyst, something like that is what it stands for. And then, and so that's sort of a separate certification from the BACB uh, that does things internationally. And then Dr. Mueller started the IBAO, which is the International Behavior Analyst Organization, 
as a means of sort of providing an option for folks outside of North America to gain certification in behavior analysis. Is that basically it? Exactly, yeah. And also, you know, I'm, I'm really convinced of, with a lot of things that uh, Dr. Michael Morrell, when he was talking to the members in AB Egypt, and people, they start to say, how can like we guarantee that it's not going to happen again with the, uh, like it happened with the BACB mm-hmm. after we study and after, yeah. And then the, I'm, I'm really convinced that, I'm, and we told them always that, this is an organization that is established and the board members there, it's from a 22 different countries. It's not only from one specific country. So, so the requirements and the uh, things regarding to the um, ethics and they are coming from a different culture. It's not only from one culture, mm. you know. So, uh, yeah, so this makes people think about it. So it's not only one country that is responsible for, uh, for this type of certification or this type of, uh, uh, of certificate, you know. So I think this peop- this makes people think that maybe they can, and also what's promising for them, it's like maybe in the future, the exams will be in Arabic or mm-hmm. in different languages. Yeah. And uh, also it will be easy for them if later on BCBAs develop their own curriculum for the, uh, like the task list or the, to be an approved content provider. So because one of the requirements in the IBU, it's not necessarily the universities to provide this type of education, you know. So maybe a BCBA can provide this type of education. Our group of BCBAs can put together a curriculum, an ABA curriculum, and to be approved by the IBU. Mm. So I think, I think this will open up more opportunities for ABA to be disseminated in different countries that it's not yet there. And we have more. ABA people and we have more behavior analysts I think we and then we can serve more kids and I think so I think this is this is a good idea and this is if it comes into reality it's going to be perfect I think so The second secret word is apraxia A P R A X I A that's amazing. And so the IBAO has essentially created a behavior analyst credential and a behavior therapist credential, I guess, sort of equivalent to kind of like an RBT. And the idea maybe that BCBAs in other countries could get together, maybe in maybe so maybe the BCBAs in Egypt could get together and develop a curriculum that could then become certified by the IBAO. And then you could start training people locally. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that, that's a great idea. Yeah. Yes. You know, like also like maybe my next step, which is very soon I'm going to do it. It's like the RBT uh, content. Maybe also it's going to be uh, like an international behavior technician content approved by the IBA also. Nice. Because it's just like a little bit of, of a variety, just more things maybe mm. to be added or something. And then also it can be approved by the IBEO for people to sit for the International Behavior Technician exam. Perfect. Perfect. And so what, 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 is, what is Egypt thinking about ABA these days? So what, what's sort of the perspective on ABA in Egypt? I know you're, you're spreading the word with your Facebook group and with your YouTube channel and those sorts of things. Is that basically the only way right now, social media, that sort of families can find out that ABA is an option for their kids in Egypt? Uh, till now, that's that's a very important question. By the way, till now, there is no there is nothing formal action. It's been taken from any of the universities. You know, I I tried to approach the American University here in Egypt, but this was a long time ago. Maybe I need to retry again. I tried to approach them, and then they started to tell tell me that maybe you can try to talk to the psychology department or something. But it wasn't. They didn't take it seriously. You know. And um, also, I, I started also to try to approach people in Coventry. We have a, a university called Coventry. It's, it's mm. a British. Yeah, it's a British yep. uh, university. And then s- still, there is no like an action, a uh, specific action is taken also. Just talking, you know, but there is no action has been taken seriously to think about this. And um, yeah, it's for now, it's even about also like our... Uh, the other BCBAs, I, 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 don't, I don't know. Maybe there are any of them trying to look for something or trying to approach other universities. But till now, I, I don't think there is a, like a, a very strong action has been taken seriously or formally 
for the establishment of ABA in any university. Hopefully this happened one day, but maybe it needs like hard work from us and hard work and more into acceptance. And maybe we need the help of a government or something. I'm not mm, sure. Mm. But uh, yeah, but I, I don't know. But I don't think it's a one man efforts, you know, or mm-hmm. it needs a, a lot of efforts from many BCBAs to take this into consideration. Mm-hmm. Or, or a university that uh, understand what an ABA and the importance of ABA in different areas, not only with kids with autism, you know. Mm. To kind of, yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I did before like a, a presentation in our in uh, school, American, uh, the AIS, American uh, International School in Egypt. I didn't hear before. I talk about the function of the behaviors for teachers and for students. And um, I think also like uh, one of the BCBAs here in Egypt, she did one of the presentation in one of the universities to the psychology undergraduate. Mm. Yes, we did that. But yeah, but it, it's just like, you know, it's one event, just one event, one event, that's it. But still, we need more work towards uh, a more formal ABAs uh, stuff. There seems to be quite a bit happening with ABA in like, and forgive me if my geography is is not correct here, but there seems to be a lot of folks that are into ABA in countries nearby Egypt. So like in Saudi Arabia and in, in UAE and and uh, in kind of some, you know, I think there's there's like a little bit happening in Jordan. There seems to be some ABA work happening in these other countries. Has there been any work to try to kind of have everybody kind of connect with each other and have like a more of a kind of an ABA kind of Middle East approach or a Middle East association or anything like that? Yeah. When, when the recent, uh, when the behavior Act certification board announced the recent, um, after 2022, mm-hmm. uh, no, but yeah, all over the place, only Canada and America and uh, England. Um, I started to contact people in uh, Emirates, BCBAs in Emirates, and, uh, they are teaching there in, um, the Emirates College, and then by that time, people, they didn't know what exactly they're going to do. But later on, they said, no, they don't think there will be a Middle East uh, like um, organization or something. Uh, it's going to be every country on its own. And I think this is what uh, we're starting to see. Uh, we started to see in Emirates, and we started to see in Saudi Arabia, that they are focusing on their country, okay, and they are, because each one of them, they have their um, verified course sequence over there, and I think they have a master's degree program over there. So, and I think they are working with the Behavior as Certification Board to to have some sort of, like, um, something, like, approved from the ABAI, or they have more more programs than they are already existing, but I, I think Emirates and Saudi Arabia, they are doing a great job towards the establishment of an ABA programs to be established formally, you know, mm-hmm. and more than the programs that's already exist there. Yes. From what I see, Ben, is every country on its own. This is what I see, or this is what it appears to us right now. And, 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 and yeah, so, because there seems to be, like, the population difference between Egypt and those countries seems to be quite drastic. Like, you have way more people, no? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. We have we have way more people. Also, in Cairo, it's it's the capital. We have the most advanced universities in Cairo. Uh, we have uh, the most people, wealthy people in Cairo. So I think the investment in something like that it should be in Cairo also. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and later on maybe later on maybe we have another if we have a maybe program in Cairo maybe later on we have another one in Alexandria or, or different. Uh, States in Egypt, but Cairo it has the most number of population. At the same time, it has uh, the, the the most advanced and most uh, yani wealthy people that they can willing to pay for their education. They can also uh, willing to pay for services for their kids. You know, and because this is you know this is the market. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We we have here in Egypt also. Uh, one of our problems is that we have to take care of the education more than that. We have to put more effort in education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to put more investment in education. I think this is also a, b- a very big important part, you know. 
Yeah, because here here in our country, like when we want to take our kids to a very good schools, okay, these schools it should be an international schools. The, they get teachers from certified teachers from different countries, you know. So I think in our countries we have to put more effort in teaching more people from here in our country to have this better move towards establishment of an ABA program. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I know that. In other countries, and you know, particularly in North America, sort of the, the reason for the development of kind of ABA programs in universities, and the the reason you know governments are more on board with ABA is because it seems to be a lot to do with parents and kind of parent groups getting together and lobbying government, advocating towards government, sometimes legal action towards government, sort of in the guise of you know, ABA being a medically necessary service. And and so there's legislation in place and those sorts of things. And it it seems like the work is more on the parents than it is on on the professionals. Is there a similar kind of movement happening at all in Egypt? Are are parents starting to advocate for better services for autism? Are parents looking for, you know, maybe more ABA services and those sorts of things? Is there anything like that happening? For the parents that they are know about ABA, are starting to know more about ABA, they are starting to look for services for ABA services. But for other parents who do not know about ABA and or they or their understanding about uh, the behavior modification and uh, the bad experiences that they are facing, they passing before. No, they are not trying to look for you know for services or for ABA services or behavior modification services. You know, mm. but the people, you know, also people is like. When ABA services, also it's not uh, cheap; it's expensive, you know. Mm-hmm. So that that's also we don't have here in our country like an insurance to cover those type of services, right? You know, yeah. So this is also problematic. So sometimes, like parents, they are trying to look for services. Like I told you here, like the people or the wealthy people that can afford some services. Okay, okay, or expensive, a little bit expensive services. They are not so much. They are limited. It's it's not the majority of our people in our country, mm-hmm. though you know. So people needs support, but at the same time, you know, when we are talking about expensive, we're not comparing uh, like um, uh, the hours for the BCBA by the hours in the United States or the hours here for uh, the RBT with the hours there. No, they are completely different. Mm. It's basically depends upon our income here, you know. Mm-hmm. So they are not comparable, you know. Right. Yeah, exactly. Also, because there is no insurance. You know, I think parents, when parents try to understand, they try to uh, try to find places that have ABA services. Mm. But these places that have ABA services, they are mostly you will find it in the most expensive centers in Egypt. You will not find in in the, like a very uh, like small centers or small organizations or people who do not have this kind of education. Okay, or you will find uh, people say that they are doing ABA, but actually they are not. And they sell their services in a very cheap fees or something mm-hmm. like that, you know? And that's the thing. Yeah, we have, of course, we have a lot of people diagnosed with autism. Of course, we have a lot of people diagnosed with developmental disability. So these people and those parents, they need support, okay? I think also we need to have a more NGO organizations here in our country mm-hmm. so they can help people. Because these, if we have more of this, so maybe parents can... And also more NGOs with, with an ABA services. You know, it's not just an NGOs and we don't know uh, who is uh, providing trainings over there or who is teaching over there, mm-hmm. you know. So more NGOs with an more uh, ABA-based uh, trainings there. And then they can help people with a very low income and, and middle class people. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yes. But, but governmentally, I don't think parents, I don't think they are trying to, to ask for an ABA services through like uh, the government or or make an advocate it's going to be something like it's informal mm. you know not something formally like that yeah yeah okay yeah and it's so different uh, when you go from con- yeah. from country to country and kind of how people approach things kind of wanted to go back for a second and ask you about the old behavior modification stuff being that sort of nobody really knew about aba in egypt how do you think behavior, the sort of practices of behavior modification got into Egypt? Uh, you mean early? Yeah, like where, where, modification or, yeah, yeah. yeah, where did where did people learn to try that sort of stuff? 
Yeah, if for example, the old if we say then like the old research, mm-hmm. okay, if the old research have some sort of like a, using a punishment procedures, we have uh, in universities here like maybe you have like a chapter about uh, applied behavior analysis, mm. a very limited chapter like by and research by Lobas and stuff research by that which is a very very old research. Mm-hmm. So I think this is this is what people learn. Okay, and when they join their university, special education universities, studied special education or studied education, they are not updates with the recent research. Mm. You know, these sometimes there are some books that is translated and there are some doctors who translate some stuff in Arabic from the old research. Mm. But there is nothing from the recent research. So I think this practice, it comes long time ago. Another thing also we have something here in Egypt with, with the, uh, some of the practitioners is that they believe that experience is better, in some cases, experience is better than education. Mm. Like, for example, they say, yeah, so I worked with like 50 kids in like uh, uh, two or three months. I worked like with 100 kids and uh, whatever, you know, and they do not have that advanced education. They do not learn ABA. They just practice with kids based on their experience, years and years of experience without education without updated education without wow. continuing education ceus without knowing what's the recent uh, in the research so you know and then those people at the same time teaching other people they are making trainings and trainings and workshops and teaching so they're giving what they know okay and all their experience to other people okay <laughs> so it's like a cycle you know <laughs> yeah so th- th- this is yeah. what i believe that's why yeah, that's why sometimes when I do workshops and I do RBT trainings and I talk to, to people, they, they always tell stuff like that. They gotcha. say that people, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, they talk about their experience. So kind of really the dissemination of ABA prior to, you know, you and, and a few other BCBAs kind of starting up in, in, in Egypt was... Arabic translations of of really old like psychology yeah. textbooks from the seventies or whatever into Arabic, and, and this was basically the only knowledge that um, the country had on kind of how to how to affect behavior change was through these really old, outdated, you know, models of intervention. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, there is a progress from like um, four or five years ago, yeah. or. Yeah, definitely, but not on on all the levels and not with all the people. And we, uh, when we see even things on social media and people, sometimes people they are very proud of their work and they don't know that that what they are doing is wrong. Right. Uh, but the thing is, yeah, sometimes we when people sometimes share their videos and therapists share their videos, they think that wow, they did a great job. But if you look at the at what they are doing, it's ethically it's not appropriate. Mm-hmm. Practically, it's not appropriate. So, and because I, I don't think they, they find somebody to teach them the right way. So this is what they learn and they have excuses for what they are doing, you know? Mm-hmm. So sometimes, sometimes those people needs, needs to learn that what you are doing is not correct. So yep. there, there are more advanced procedures. There are more ethical procedures that you can use and you can get the same results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a, a lot of work to kind of change people's minds and 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 bring them into sort of the new research and yeah i i see you just doing a really a really important work down there in terms of disseminating you know uh, the new science as it were yeah thank you yeah yeah what's next for you i mean you you've got a you've got a you've got a omar's 19 now uh you you must be um are, are you thinking at all about sort of like what what sort of services are available for adults with autism in 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 egypt yeah, that's also a very good question. And it's, it's a very good question. It's very important also as well questions because like services, it's to teach kids. It's very limited, mm-hmm. you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's very limited. If you're talking about, let's talk about like uh, organizations, like in NGOs, organizations or centers, definitely all the centers, they are focusing on most of the centers. They are focusing on the early intervention. Okay. Yeah. We have like maybe, like maybe, I'm not sure, like maybe three or four, like, uh, you know, these schools that uh, it's a boarding school. The people let their kids sleep over there and, and they take uh, very like old ages and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think also this is this is something good for for the kids to be there in these schools, even if they are going to teach them, them some stuff here. 
again, because about the quality of the services, you know, the way they are teaching kids over there or the way, the way they are teaching adults. But, you know, we have a very light services in this area. It's uh, on, on all the levels and even for the uh, centers, which the profitable organizations, the non-profitable organization also very, very limited. Maybe we have like one or two NGOs that can accept kids until like 24, 25, something like that. Mm. We focus on the vocal, uh, on the vocational stuff, mm-hmm. but also, no, we, we need more. We need more uh, from this because no, we don't, we don't have a lot of, uh, of services for adults. That's another problem. I mean, Another area that needs more attention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. De- definitely, you know, definitely also, th- there's a good things which started to happen from the governmental side regarding, you know, for example, giving like uh, the people with developmental disability and autism and intellectual disability some sort of uh, advantages of having this card. So this card, so you can wait in the li- you cannot wait in the line. You have a wheelchair for people with a physical disability. Yeah, yeah, these services having a place in transportation, public transportation. So mm. th- this is good. Yeah, this is definitely something good. And hopefully more of, the, of this to be in the future. Mm-hmm. You know? Are there, are there uh, anyone doing kind of like employment services for people with developmental disabilities? What, what services? Em- employment, like so help them finding jobs. Yeah, there, there are like, there's here also one of the centers here in Egypt and is uh, the owner is, is an N, they have a, like an NGO at the same time she has a center and it also says uh, actually there are two centers they're sometimes taking kids one of them like my school my son's school so they're taking kids you know to IKEA and let them go and have training in IKEA and then they so the kids there they try to do the assembled uh, furniture and right. stuff like that they enter data so they are preparing them for employment later on hmm. okay also the other another ngo also they're taking kids and they like making them like uh, in mcdonald's and and coffee shops and preparing coffees and stuff like that but it's all trainings mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know it's it's all trainings but i'm i'm not sure if people they are actually uh, uh, employed in this places later on mm. or these places can help them really hire them or even if they hire them are they going to be hired alone or they need the support? And who's going to provide this support? The parents will provide the support. Definitely not the government. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't have this type of services here. It has to be from the parents and the parents have to pay, you know. So it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. But, 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 they, yeah, but they provide some sort of training, a good training they provide, which is something good. But it's not enough. They need more. The third secret word is services. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of work to do there. For yeah, sure. Yes, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of thinking about wrapping it up here. What what's what sort of next for you? What's what what's the next phase for Radwa in um your practice and dissemination? What are you working on now? What are some of your goals? Yeah, my goal, okay, let, let me take it like a little bit more. Okay, first of all, my goal or for my son, mm-hmm. uh, what I'm hoping to do for my son is teaching him more computer stuff okay so later on hopefully he's going to be working with his dad in his office so uh, hopefully one day because i prefer to be with his family i prefer not to leave him you know alone out in the community i prefer he will be with us so mm-hmm. it's, he's going to be much safer so this is for my son for me i hope on the work level i hope that i can expand my work more so i have like a, a place for me so i can have more like a bigger place so I can have I train more people and accept more clients. Mm. So when I, I teach, yeah, I, I teach people and, and help other people and other parents. And uh, this is for my work level. And then I hope for the IBAO level, <laughs> okay, for the certification start to, hopefully this is one day, but I'm not sure it's going to be very soon to develop like an, uh, a curriculum for to be an approved course provider mm. or content for the IBAO. For people to become an international behavior analyst, okay, and uh, not only international behavior technician, because we need more behavior analysts in the future. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, I can we can work to do something like that. And also, uh, one one of my wishes is that to teach ABA and universities here in Egypt. So, mm. so hopefully, this can happen one day in in one of our universities and to be approved from the universities here and to be a good start. 
for ABE to be disseminated in Egypt. So I think this is a very important uh, point is going to be in life. Nice. Uh, that, that would be amazing. So hopefully, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Cool. Wow. Well, Radwa, this, this was a really interesting conversation. I really need to kind of learn about kind of what's happening in Egypt, what services are like, you know, how you've kind of gotten from being a parent of a child with autism to being, you know, a, a leader in your country in terms of ABA and autism treatment and services and and the experience of uh, of you know supporting Omar and in, into adulthood and and trying to try to find him you know a good safe you know uh, future and good quality of life you you, you do so much and uh, and I can tell by the ninety two hundred members of ABA Egypt that your work is really appreciated and I think there's so many more good things to kind of come from you in Egypt and for Omar so thanks again for being on the podcast and for joining me today. Thank you so much, Ben. It was my pleasure meeting you and talking to you about this.